0: she's starting to come out of her just like terrified all the time
1: (laughs) right maybe these creatures won't be eating me today
0: Hello and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast connecting academic ideas to popular media. I am one of your co-hosts, Martha Sullivan, uh, enjoying a nice cup of tea on this lovely Boxing Day. I am joined, as always, by my other co-host.
1: I am Pete Romberg. I'm enjoying a nice cup of coffee on this lovely Boxing Day. And as soon as we're done with this episode, I'm going to go out and get myself a nice new computer uh, as a little Christmas Boxing Day gift to myself.
0: Nice little bonus yeah. there. Um, we are coming to you live at the end of... We, we are,
1: listener, we are not coming to you live.
0: We are not live.
1: <laughs> if you just heard us uh, talking about Boxing Day and you're listening to this on Wednesday, we're not live.
0: Listen, <laughs> we are coming to you at the end of what could conservatively be called a trash fire of a year. I know I'm not the first person to say that. I will not be the last person. Uh, but Pete and I decided that we wanted to close out this year by, with our, our traditional top tens, uh, top 10 pieces of media from the year. And also just because I'm a big, I'm a big believer in top 10 lists. And also this year, it is so hard to remember what good things happened this year that I have enjoyed the chance to kind of take a step back and say, Oh yeah, there were some good things that happened and some things I enjoyed. It's not and just hard things... to remember
1: the good things. It's hard to remember, period, what happened. Like, mm-hmm. do you remember that the president got impeached this year? Because I had nearly forgotten.
0: Yes, that was a thing. Speaking of good that things. That was a thing that we did. Yeah. Um, and because this whole whole spanking episode is going to be a lot of what's stuck in our heads, we are going to... Uh, Temporarily belay that particular segment and just get straight into the good stuff. So, Pete, would you like to lead us off with the first? uh, first piece of culture that you've got on your top 10 list.
1: Sure. And, uh, before I do that, I'll just lay this out. Uh, Martha and I have put these lists in a semblance of an order, so we're gonna go from number 10 up to number one, uh, and to both make it a little more challenging for ourselves and to just have a greater, uh, spread of things that we were found, you know, happy this trash fire of a year, uh, we had no repeats <laughs> on this list. Um, Martha made her list first, so, uh, and we did a little bit of horse trading about who got what, uh, (laughs) but, (laughs) but there are no, uh, no repeats. Um, so, uh, with that all being said, um, my number 10 of the year is the TV show, The Great, uh, a comedy drama from Hulu, loosely, and by that I mean incredibly loosely, uh, based on the rise of Catherine the Great, uh, starring Elle Fanning and Nicholas Holt, Um, and created by Tony McNamara, who co-wrote, uh, The Favourite from 2019. Um, I don't, I was very hesitant to put this on my list because I thought it was a fun show. It was, it was like, you know, great to watch during quarantine and all the rest of it. But was it really that good? Was it one of my top tens? And then I thought about just how many times Huzzah has entered into my lexicon (laughs) with specifically Nicholas Holt saying Huzzah and throwing a vodka glass at the floor. Um, so (laughs) uh, for that reason alone it deserves a place on my top 10 list
0: I loved The Great I thought it was fun I know I was very hesitant um, about it because The Favorite is not my favorite movie Um, but I thought it had much more straightforward honestly the humor in it was easier for me Mm -hmm. than in The Favorite
1: (laughs) yes it wasn't filtered through uh, uh, Yorgos Lanthimos' particular lens both literally and figuratively
0: Um, But yeah, I hope they do another season. I thought it was great. My number 10 is Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey, the last movie that I saw in theaters before (laughs) the end of the world. Um, And I, I had a moment where I was like, do I am I remembering this movie so fondly because it was also my last theater going experience Uh, so as soon as it came, became available on HBO, I watched it again and no, it's just a really fun movie. (laughs) Uh, Margot Robbie is fantastic. She's a star. Uh, the action sequences are great. Um, the colors and the visuals are fantastic. Uh, it's a great movie. Um, i i hope kathy Yan makes a hundred more
1: <laughs> yeah i i enjoyed harlequin and the birds of prey quite a lot as well i did not get a chance to see it until oh this fall this summer um definitely not in theaters uh but it, it was a it was a fun time um the last movie that i saw in theaters was fighting with the great for my number 10 spot uh, that was portrait of a lady on fire but uh it lost out for a variety of reasons Also, I think
0: technically Portrait of a Lady on Fire came out in 2019.
1: That is one of the reasons it lost out. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But it did not come, you know, here to Milwaukee until 2020. So I was like, I think I can include this. And then, uh, you know, didn't make the cut. Fair. Uh, As I pull up the wiki for the next thing on my (laughs) list, I'm giving myself a lot of extra work. All right. My number nine is the, uh, I could say the 2020, but these are all going to be 2020. Uh, it is the, uh, Gina Prince-Bayworth, uh, superhero film, The Old Guard, uh, dropped directly to Netflix back in July and starred Charlize Theron as a, uh, the leader of a group of immortal warriors, um, who are, who discover the next, member of their society, the next immortal warrior, and sort of induct her into their secret order. Um, incredible action, but also incredible character development. Uh, Charlie Theron is absolutely incredible, and so is the entire rest of the cast. Uh, Chiwetel Four shows up, and he's always great in things. Um, yeah, it was a nice... I'm a little bit torn because in some ways, like... I enjoyed watching this movie and then a lot of it slipped out of my mind and I think it would have been really great to see it on the big screen, but it was also always destined for Netflix. Like, it was a Netflix production and I think, like, uh, Gina Prince-Bayworth did such an incredible job with this. Give her more movies, Hollywood. Let her direct more. Um, And it showed just her versatility because she's never directed a serious action movie like this. Um, And she knocked, like, She knocked that aspect out of the park as well as the interpersonal uh, aspect of it, which, um, you know, she she has had a lot of experience directing. And so that part also knocked out of the park. Not as surprising.
0: I haven't watched it yet. I have no excuse for myself, except that I know that this is a movie that my husband will want to watch, too. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I save movies um, for the two of us to watch together that I know he will enjoy. I'm looking forward to it. I I know that it's going to be right up my
1: alley. You got some time off right now. Just, uh, you know, what are you doing this afternoon or tomorrow?
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, watching Wonder Woman. Right, Wonder
1: Woman and then.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So my next pick is a comic. It is an ongoing comic called Something is Killing the Children by James Tiny and the Fourth, Werther Deledria and Mikhail Morito. Uh, This is a horror book about a small town uh, where something starts killing, abducting and killing children. And a mysterious woman comes to kind of help take care of the problem. But it soon becomes clear that it is beyond her solo capabilities. Um, It has a lot of really great elements of like a very classic kid focused horror story so like you have a a 12 or 13 year old who is like the only survivor after a bunch of his friends get eaten um trying to help this like mysterious hero type um it's really brutal Mm -hmm. it is you know says says what it does on the tin um and is definitely not for the faint of heart but it is um just it is a very effective horror story the art is great um is it erica Er slaughter is the name of the mysterious hero (laughs) character
1: Uh, amazing
0: yes
1: (laughs) um is Um, it is it uh like american comic weekly issue type situation or webcomic uh
0: oh it is um it's being published by boom studios okay so it's a monthly it's a monthly um floppy that's then being collected in uh trade paperbacks okay great so yeah It started this year. Two trades are um, available. Um, And yeah, it is also sort of adjacently a monster hunting family story. And I have realized this year that I could read those forever. (laughs) I love a family that hunts monsters together.
1: (laughs) Nice. All right. uh, Well, my number eight. Yes, we're already down to eight is another podcast podcast. Uh, it's you talking talking heads to my talking head. Uh, the encyclopedic compendium of all things talking head. Uh, by Adam Scott and Scott Ackerman. Um, this is the third in their encyclopedic compendium uh, podcast series. They started with you talking you Too to me, uh, and then they went with are you talking REM re Um, and this year they started one episode of are you talking RHCP, Remy? Which was going to be a Red Hot Chili Peppers-focused season. And then one episode in, they were like, we actually don't want to talk about this. We want to talk about the talking heads. And so they shifted entirely over to the talking heads. Um, Each episode is approximately two hours long. Um, Yeah, two, two and a half hours long. The first Half hour to 45 minutes is bits and comedy between Adam Scott and Scott Aukerman, um, which is fine and funny, but I like it most when they get into actually dissecting each album in detail. Uh, they're both huge Talking Heads fans, and they go through, uh, each episode is dedicated to one album, they listen to each track and talk about it, um, they have guests on, uh, Ezra Koenig from Vampire Weekend, uh, was on an episode, um, uh, Stephen Tobolowski, uh was on, and that was just fascinating. Apparently, he has the writing credits on a Talking Heads movie that came out in the '80s uh, called True Stories. Um, it's if you like the Talking Heads, it's a really great podcast episode season. Uh, and if you don't like the Talking Heads, you wouldn't be listening to it anyway, so <laughs> that's that's fine. Uh, I I love the Talking Heads, and listening to this. Each time it dropped, I I sort of like went back through and listened to a bunch of Talking Heads. Uh, so this this was sort of the year of of the Talking Heads for me.
0: Yeah, I I don't truly really have any strong feelings about the Talking Heads. I do like Adam Scott and Scott Ackerman. <laughs> mm, hmm.
1: Um. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you like U two or REM, you could go back and listen to those uh, seasons. Um. Yeah. I, yeah, they're, you know.
0: Yeah, I might check out the R.E.M. season. I'm a very, I'm very deep into <laughs> R.E.M.
1: <laughs> really? Huh.
0: But, um, oh, yes.
1: <laughs> that both surprises me and does not surprise me in the slightest. Oh,
0: that wasn't a joke? Yeah, I love R.E.M.
1: Yeah, no, no. Um, Like, it. Th- that's the kind of thing where, like, I don't know that you love R.E.M., but it doesn't surprise me that you do.
0: Yeah, no, I've been, I've been very involved with them since I was, like, 13. <laughs> mm, sure, sure. <laughs>
1: Uh, well, they they got Mike Mills on for an episode. Uh, yeah, you know, he's one of the one of the founding members of R.E.M. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, good stuff.
0: Uh, my next pick is a book called Mexican Gothic by Sylvia Moreno Garcia. Uh, there's going to be a lot of horror on this list, just <laughs> so you all know. Uh,
1: fitting the theme of uh, the year pretty well.
0: I believe I have talked about this book on the podcast uh, at least once. But I think it you is have a. Yeah, it is a very traditional um, gothic horror story. So like house on the hills and creepy family and something's not right. And are we is this woman actually insane or is everybody else just gaslighting her to make her think she's insane? Mm. Um, But it is set in um, Mexico City to do like right around the Mexican Revolution. So, no, that's not, that's not correct. Um, It's set in Mexico City, like, in the
1: 1920s? I mean, that's right after the revolution.
0: Right after the revolution. Okay, yeah. I knew it was somewhere... Somewhere in the vicinity, but I didn't. I couldn't remember if it was pre or post. But yeah, so it's 1920s Mexico City. Um, the main character is a Mexican girl who gets summoned by her cousin, who writes a very upsetting letter, who's basically like, "I'm in danger." Um, so she goes to the house that her cousin lives in with her European, her British husband and his family. And the longer she stays in the house, the more she's like, "Oh, something's not right here." um it's super creepy there are some very excellent moments of body horror in it and mm. mostly i just really loved um you know reading about like reading all of these tropes from gothic horror that i have always really enjoyed in this uh very um, like new and interesting setting for these uh literary conventions because i think gothic horror tends to be very white very british very um, victorian very victorian and yeah just it fits so well like moreno garcia weaves in some mexican folklore uh and it just feels it all feels very correct um and is a really interesting take on the genre Uh,
1: well i've just added that to my goodreads list Um,
0: You should. I think it's going to be on a lot of people's best of books list for this year. Mm -hmm. It's been very, very buzzy.
1: Yeah, it sounds really good. And like, especially not just putting a gothic horror in a non-Victorian setting, but putting it in a setting which is one that people are are not particularly familiar with. uh, Seems really interesting. Mm hmm. Uh, number seven on my list is a Spike Lee movie. It's actually the first of the of two Spike Lee movies on my list. It is Five Bloods, uh, Netflix original. Um, uh, stars Delroy Lindo, Clark Peters, Norm Lewis, and Isaiah Whitlock Jr. as four Vietnam vets who are returning to Vietnam to uh, in, in the modern you know now um, basically to dig up some gold that they had buried there when they were overseas um joining them is uh Delroy Lindo's uh character's son uh played by Jonathan Majors um who is a you know a grad of an HBCU and and represents very much a modern African-American experience rather than a you know a boomer era uh, African-American experience uh and it also stars Chadwick Boseman as um one of their uh the uh, Defy Blood's fifth member who did not make it out of Vietnam um also uh, Jean Reno shows up as the villain and a handful of other people uh, show up but just a truly incredible um it's a Vietnam War movie because there's lots of flashbacks uh very interestingly done where they uh, Chadwick Boseman is obviously playing himself but Spike Lee just simply uses the other guys who are all older and just puts them in in the Vietnam settings, unchanged. Um, So, you know, there's no de-aging effects, there's no uh, young makeup on them or anything, it's just, you know, four older dudes and Chadwick Boseman. Um, And that's because a lot of it isn't just about, like, Vietnam, but it is about memory and, you know, the African-American experience both in Vietnam and since then. Um, Delroy Lindo was absolutely incredible in this and played sort of a, like, a MAGA hat, uh african-american guy um and yeah just a, a great movie in general very stylized very spikely, and not a single usage of fortunate son which uh it might be the first in a vietnam war movie to not include <laughs> ccr
0: <laughs> uh, i'm still gearing myself up to watch this one
1: yeah i um, mean it's intense but
0: well and also Like Ma Rainey's Black Bottom just dropped Mm. on Friday, which I very much want to watch. But like watching anything with Chadwick Boseman in it right now, especially stuff that you know is made towards the end of his life. Like, I feel like I need to be prepared in a way that I'm not.
1: Yes, I I did watch The Five Bloods before Chadwick Boseman passed. um, And I I think that Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is obviously the last thing he was in. And I think *The Five Bloods* was the second to last thing he was in. Yeah. Um. Yeah, which definitely does cast another light on it. Uh, yeah.
0: Um. My mom really liked it.
1: Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sidebar. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like it's 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 incredibly made movie, uh, and it's it's incredibly complex. Um. Mm-hmm. So.
0: Uh, the next item on my list is a video game called Kentucky Route Zero. Uh, Kentucky Route Zero um, is a, a video game that released in five different episodes with five interludes in between each uh, act. Um, they started coming out in 2011 and were initially crowdfunded. Um, the last episode was released in January of this year, and then they were... Uh, collected into a like complete version, which is the one that I purchased uh, for the Switch to buy. Uh, this game is super weird. Um, it is a point-and-click adventure game where you play a guy who delivers antiques, trying to make a delivery to an address that is on um, the a, a, fi- a fake is is on the the. F- fictional route zero in Kentucky and all of the people and characters that he meets along the way. Hmm. Um, but that is such a reductive way of describing it. Like you also get to tour a bourbon distillery that is staffed by skeletons question mark. Hmm. Um, <laughs> You get to explore a place called the Bureau of Reclaimed Spaces. Um, At one point, you're in a churchyard that has a massive, like, underground cave system in it, uh, where, as far as I can tell, people collect there who are sort of like have slipped through the cracks of society. There are metaphors for debt and um like capitalist control and the healthcare system and all of this is kind of wrapped up in a like eerie another kind of southern gothic-y kind of uh that vibe situation yeah <laughs>
1: um, is it a little um night It
0: it is okay it's a little night veily um it has a really excellent soundtrack that you can Mm -hmm. listen to on Spotify. That's got a lot of like twangy Southern influences, a lot of bluegrass stuff. Um, It is, it is a game that I can, it is a game that I play that I have, that I can't be doing anything else while I play it. Like I, I play a lot of video games while I'm also watching TV. Yeah. um, But because Kentucky route zero is such a complete visual and auditory experience, You, it it does kind of demand your full attention. Mm. Um, and a lot of it is just words like exploring through the things that people say, like you frequently have choices over what to say to somebody. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, I think you would have to play it a couple of times to figure out how the story changes based on what you say to them. But I almost don't want to do that. Like I want to stick with my. The experience that is built from the choices that you make, because since there's no obvious way to win or lose this game, I I make choices based on like, how do I personally feel about what's happening, which makes it feel like a very authentic conversational experience.
1: Right. It doesn't have the stakes of other video games where it's like, oh, I should save before I make this choice because I might make the wrong one
0: exactly like i i don't think there are any wrong ones it's just what is the choice that you feel is the most natural Mm -hmm. in this situation um one of the interludes is an interactive modern art exhibit like this game is Hmm. wild um but quietly wild i don't know it is it is not like anything else i've ever experienced before
1: cool very cool Um, but
0: i I definitely would recommend, even if you're not going to pick up the game, checking out the soundtrack on Spotify. It's really great.
1: So the uh, th- this is a little bit off topic, but one of my favorite soundtracks from the past couple years is the soundtrack for Annihilation. Um, because it is both like a good horror movie kind of soundtrack and has a lot of twangy bluegrass uh, finger picking sort of going on, which is so wildly not what you would expect from a sci-fi horror movie true Um, but it's
0: also such my jam
1: yes
0: (laughs) i I love that stuff so much
1: yeah and like and that soundtrack is killer and i might have to check out kentucky root zero's soundtrack too yeah give me some good twangy guitars
0: love it i love that jangly stuff
1: yeah all right well my number six is the bojack horseman finale um this was one that i forgot came out this year because it came out in january aka uh 50 years ago um, this was back before COVID was really even a known quantity, or maybe it was just starting to percolate through the news media. Um, Bojack Horseman, for those unaware, is a cartoon show from Netflix, uh, created by, uh, Raphael bob Wexberg and starring, um, uh, Will Arnett, Amy Sedaris, Alison Brie, Paul F. Tompkins, Aaron Paul, and many, many others. Um, it's, uh, about... Hollywood or as they call it Hollywoo. um <laughs> uh, after BoJack steals the D from the Hollywoo sign uh in the first season it's a world where there are both people and anthropomorphic animals peoples um so BoJack Horseman is himself a horse uh his agent is Princess Carolyn a cat played by uh, Amy Sedaris um and we go from there uh as the show has progressed it has been both funny and an I think one of the best shows about uh, fame, depression, accountability. I think it's a very good me too kind of show. Um, And the last season especially is sort of he uh, Bojack has, has hit what he thinks is rock bottom and has started to begin to try to make amends with people um, is living a very different life. uh, And even then cannot escape the, uh, choices he made in the past um it's about redemption and but, but redemption is bad it's about it's about reconciliation right like facing up to the the horrible things you did in the past and trying to find a way to fix them if possible and live with them if not possible um can you change as a person or horse person um etc uh, really heavy topics for a com- for a show that's also incredibly funny, um, and the last two episodes particularly were just uh, very powerful and strong. Um, and the show ended on a on a a nice grace note for it. You know, there's no happy endings because it's not the kind of show that's gonna have a happy ending, but it's a a satisfying ending.
0: Hmm. I'm not done with it yet. Okay. I I. Watched the first season or two and then wandered off to do something else. Sure. And, uh, just haven't gone back to it. I felt a little guilty. I've always felt a little guilty about Bojack because the first season did not really grab me. I think the same way that it did a lot of other people. hmm Um, like I, I recognize that it is very good. Um... I have a hard time, and I know that this is—I know that this is the point of the show. I have a hard time with how terrible of a person BoJack is. <laughs> yeah,
1: so that, that, I would just s- to, that would make that would make sitting through a six seasons challenging.
0: Get back to it, yeah. yeah. And I think it's the kind of thing where it will work better for me if I just watch it a couple episodes at a time. I don't know that it will ever be a binge for me.
1: Sure, sure. Uh, It's—I think it's definitely. It benefits from watching more than one episode in a row because then you sort of get into the rhythm of it a lot, like, better. But, Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, three episodes and then walking away is probably a good amount. Um, I'm just realizing now, this show started back in 2014, and it ran a full six seasons. Um, So it makes total sense that you might have watched the first little bit and then wandered away because that was uh, six years ago. (laughs) Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, my next one, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on because I I know that I've talked about it um, at length on the show already, but it's the final season of Brockmire. Um, Brockmire is Hank Azaria's show where he plays a disgraced and then redeemed baseball announcer. Um, the last season happens after like a 10-year time jump hmm. um, and is really kind of a a feat in speculative fiction uh, and also made me cry a lot because I really missed baseball this year. Yeah. Um, It's all about like the fourth season is about the parallels of Brockmire finally kind of old, like fully redeeming and coming to peace with himself and then also saving baseball because no one watches it anymore. (laughs) And it's about how he and Amanda Pete, uh, take on the task of reviving baseball as a national pastime. Um, yeah, it, I, I'm getting emotional thinking about it right now. Um, yeah, baseball is, is something that I enjoy with my dad. My dad gets Cubs tickets every year. So like, Every summer for the past couple of years, we've been able to go to a handful of games. And this year, we didn't. And I know that in a lot of professional sports, well, in all professional sports, there has been this constant like tension between wanting to get back and play, even if people can't go to live games, and also the fact that it's really dangerous to be playing live sports right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been watching baseball happen while also being sad that I can't see it. Being glad that it exists and also not wanting it to happen because I don't want the players to get COVID. Yeah, um, and I, I I think
1: that that blend of like I'm glad this thing I like is happening, but also should it be happening? Is, you really
0: shouldn't. Is, like that's is, is, the yeah. thing. When it's I Every think that time... that feeling
1: suffuses so much of what's happened this past year. Uh, you know, like restaurants and and sports and and you know, movies and TV shows going back into production. All of it is just like. Good, but bad. Yeah.
0: And yeah, every time a baseball player or a hockey player or a football, like any time a professional athlete is announced to have a positive COVID test, it's like that is potentially going to end their career. Yeah. Because of now everything that we know that happens um, in like long-term COVID. And so the, the final season of Brockmire would have already been kind of pretty emotional for me. Um, but having it framed in a situation where I'm already feeling pretty emotional about baseball in general was like a pretty profound, um, context to be watching it in.
1: hmm Yeah. Uh, well, my number, uh, five is also sports. Uh, and I, I think you brought up Brockmeyer, the same, uh, as the suck in your head, the same episode I brought up this, uh, possibly in in dialogue with, uh, but it is The Last Dance, a 10-part ESPN miniseries documentary about the uh, the Bulls uh, going for their re- thre- repeat-three-peat back in 97, um, focused around, you know, Jordan uh, and also Pippin, Rodman, Steve Kerr, Phil Jackman, uh, Phil Jackson, um, as a kid growing up in chicago during this exact time period wow this has been an amazing nostalgia trip um uh and also learned a lot about like about michael jordan and the behind the scenes stuff um michael jordan is an incredibly petty person who will take any potential slight real or imagined against him and use it to absolutely destroy you on the basketball court um, which is, like, it's an interesting psychological dynamic that this show sort of presented. Um, really well produced. Uh, like I said, the focus is on that last season, uh, Jordan's last season. Um, but it's, it's also telling the story of Jordan's entire career with the Bulls, so it's lots of flashbacks. Like, it takes ten, 10 episodes, ten, uh, hour-long episodes to to tell because it's looking back at, at Jordan's entire career with the bulls, um, before finally culminating in that, uh, you know, that successful repeat, three peat uh, season.
0: Fun fact, Michael Jordan owned and operated my favorite restaurant in Chicago for a very long time. Really? Which one? Yep. 160 blue. Hmm. It is no longer around, has not been for quite some time. Mm hmm. Um, but yeah, I loved it. Interesting.
1: Did not know that. I thought you were gonna say Harry Carries. <laughs> not no. that I think that would be your favorite restaurant, but I just like the idea of Michael Jordan owning Harry Carries.
0: I don't think he does. I don't, I don't think he
1: does either. <laughs> <Okay>.
0: <laughs> I was gonna say that isn't that a Cubs yeah. like a Cubs place? Okay.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's why it'd be funny. Because <laughs> he played for the White Sox.
0: Oh, God, I forgot about that. And
1: and The Last Dance also gets into that. Um, And it's kind of impressive because everyone's like, oh, he was such a bad baseball player. But, like, the doc makes the point that, like, if he played baseball for another couple years, he probably would have been a good baseball player.
0: That was such a weird career move. I might watch it just, I mean, I'm going to watch it because it sounds really good, but I might watch it just so that somebody can help me figure out, like, why? Why did this happen? Uh,
1: part of it was his dad was killed. Um and his dad had been a very important part of his life. Uh so he kinda needed to, you know, sh- shake it up and and do something else that didn't remind him of his dad quite so much.
0: Well, now I feel very insensitive. For well, laughing. I mean
1: i Well the thing is the other <laughs> the other uh rumor about it all was that it was a soft ban from the NBA for gambling. Um and they were sort of like, take a break for a couple seasons. Um that's all very much unsubstantiated rumors, but they also sure. go into that. So all right watch watch the show. It's it's fascinating and well produced. Uh
0: so now we are into my top five. Um so my next one is a comet is another comic called The Lolo Woods by Carmen Maria Machado and artist Danny. Uh, this was a like five issue mini series, so it's not ongoing. It was published as Five Floppies and then connect- collected into a trade. Hmm. It was also published by a new um, arm of DC Comics called Hill House Comics, which is being overseen by Joe Hill, son of Stephen King, hmm. which has been a. Um, a collection of different horror stories, which have been a little hit or miss um, for me, but I think unquestionably for me, uh, the best thing that they have put out so far is the Lilla Woods. Um, The Lilla Woods is set in a town in Pennsylvania, loosely based off of Centralia, Pennsylvania, which is where the coal mine fire has been burning since 1962. Uh, And as far as they know, it will just keep burning forever. Um but in uh the Lolo Woods, um, in this fictional town, um, it is about something weird that happens to the women in the town. Um, women occasionally lose time or disappear. Uh, and it is one of those things that like no one talks about. Hmm. And two teen girls, Ellen Octavia. Uh, lose a chunk of time where they wake up in a movie theater and realize they've missed the entire movie and they don't remember what happened. Uh, and they decide to investigate what happened. Like They decide to investigate what happened to them and how that connects to this larger image of what is happening to the women of this town. Um, it is about female friendship, which is one of my very favorite things in stories mm-hmm. um, and is also an indictment of rape culture and people's tendency to not want to talk about things that are unpleasant. Hmm. Um, It was, it's, it's an incredible achievement, I think. And it is um, a really great illustration of how you can tell a complete and tight story in like just a couple of issues.
1: I, Um, I appreciate media that has a a clear get in, get out uh, ethos rather than, you know, get in and wallow around for a little while.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And a quick correction, it's six issues, so Mm. not five, but yeah, it is um, in and out six pages. The trade is available. um, And it is, I I think, um, a really pretty phenomenal piece of storytelling uh, that I found deeply relevant to our just whole situation today um, and also a really great piece of monster horror
1: also mm, nice uh, adding that to my goodreads list um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and also as soon as you mentioned uh, joe hill i realized neither of us had the outsider miniseries on our top 10 lists i honestly I didn't watch it you didn't no oh it was really good uh, i forgot it came out this year because it came out in january which means uh it came out five years ago <laughs>
0: Yeah, I wanted to read the book first.
1: Oh, fair enough. Um, yeah, I it it was very good. Uh but that's not what my number 4 is. So, I won't say too much more about that. Um my number 4 is uh my second Spike Lee and my second David Byrne related topic. Uh it, it is David Byrne's American Utopia. Uh David Byrne uh, was the lead singer, uh, you know, frontman for Talking Heads. Uh and Last couple years has been touring a Broadway show called American Utopia, um, where it's him and a bunch of musicians uh, playing a bunch of songs. Some of them are Talking Heads songs. Some of them are David Byrne original songs. Uh, and Spike Lee filmed the concert film. Uh, you know, he, he directed and produced the, the concert film uh, for HBO. Um, this is up there with Stop Making Sense as one of the greatest concert films of all time. Uh, it's so unique. David Byrne specifically wanted everyone to be mobile. So rather than having a drum set on stage, he has six people with different drums. Um, so everyone is dancing, and it's all very choreographed uh, as they're playing the various instruments. Everyone is wearing sort of gray suits and no shoes. Uh, they're all barefoot while they're doing all this. Um, and it looks beautiful. It's It's incredibly well-directed. The choreography is incredible. The music is incredible. Uh, and it's just a nice... I miss going to concerts so much. Uh, obviously, we've talked on this show a lot about how much we miss going to movies, but I also mm. miss going to see live music. And this was it's such a great... You know, it's not the same as seeing live music, music, but it's really close to it. And it has that same energy and, and excitement and vibe. Um, and some of the renditions of songs that, you know, I know and love, like Izimbra um, uh, or Once in a Lifetime or um you know burning down the house road to nowhere this must be the place like these great talking head songs uh are just performed incredibly um and it's a, a 2020 thing so he's also got a a protest song written by Janelle Monet um brilliant where it's it's just you know the entire song is basically just say their names type situation uh so yeah, and, and he actually called up Janelle Monáe and was like, how would you feel about a old white guy doing a Say Their Name song? And Janelle Monáe was like, yeah, you should do it. Um, yeah. I don't know that I realized you were so deeply invested in the Talking Heads. I had always been into them since college, but I do think that this year I got more into them. Uh, well, it sounds like there's been a lot of like quality reason to do it
0: yes. i just it, it is interesting to me that um this year does seem to be kind of the focal point for all of this talking heads related media to like be popping
1: up yeah I, it's actually even more so because um jerry harrison one of the members of talking heads just put out a biography this year as well so it's like mm. there's a lot of for whatever reason 2020 is just that year the year of the talking heads <laughs> yeah yeah
0: <laughs> excellent uh, my next pick is, um, I think. Well, okay. So I haven't seen a lot of movies that came out this year, but of the movies I've seen, this is the best one. Mm. Uh, it's The Invisible Man, starring Elizabeth Moss and uh, a bunch of people I don't <laughs> don't remember. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> Well, I mean, you, you can't see some of them, so it makes sense you wouldn't remember who they are. True.
0: Well, Aldous Hodge is in it, and I always love seeing him. Uh, Storm Reid, Harriet Dyer, Michael Dorman, Oliver Jackson Cohen, um, and was directed by Leigh Whannell. Um, it's, it's so good. I, I don't know. I probably don't need to beat this drum so hard because a lot of people saw it and were like, This movie is great, Um, but it has one of the best opening sequences Mm. in a horror movie that I've ever seen Mm -hmm. Um, made that much more effective by the fact that there is no, there are no musical cues. There is no context. Um, The opening sequence of the movie is Elizabeth Moss's character escaping from this like mansion compound that her tech mogul abusive husband has trapped her in. And so much of that, you know, instantly just by like situational cues, like you Mm. see her, the, the go bag that she's had to hide in a specific place and the security system that she has to disarm in like four different places and the dog that she has to, um, the dog that she, she apologizes to the dog for not being able to bring him with. And that's the point where you kind of like your heart starts to break because it's not just a security dog. And you're like, Oh no, yeah, the dog is gonna like the, the dog is also bearing the brunt of this, this guy. Um, and it is just, it is a really effective interpretation of this story. Um, that has been told several times in differing uh, amounts of effectiveness, mm-hmm. I think. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, Elizabeth Moss does some incredible acting with her face. She's great. She's my... She and Tom Cruise are the the two celebrities... Or no, she... She more than Tom Cruise. I don't pretend he's not a Scientologist. She is my she is my celebrity who I get to pretend is not a Scientologist. Oh, I so did that not I even enjoy her stuff.
1: I did not even realize she was a Scientologist.
0: Oh yeah. She was like oh, born into it. Like she's fully Oh Bummer. I know. It's very sad. Um I'm kind of hoping that at a certain point she'll Publish her memoir of how she escaped from Scientology.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, but yeah, it's, it's great. A lot of really great horror came out this year and this one, I wish I'd had a chance to see in the theater. It was a late February release. So like right on the, I think it got pulled early yeah. from theaters.
1: Yeah. That sounds right.
0: Um, but I think it would have made a great uh, communal experience.
1: Well, like, um, horror movies especially, seeing them in theaters is so different than seeing them in your own house. Yes. Like, you can't look at your phone because you're, because you don't want to look at what's on the Because you screen. don't want to look at the screen, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, well, my number three, uh, Martha's List has a lot of uh, books and comics. I realized I read only a single book that came out this year, uh, and Martha already claimed it for her number two. Um, so, uh, <laughs> mine is mostly music, which... Um, does check out for both of us uh that you're doing all the books and i'm doing all the music um
0: brand. yes yeah.
1: uh my number three is phoebe bridger's album punisher i realized a couple years ago that one of the music genres i absolutely love is sad female singer-songwriters um and phoebe bridgers is at the focal point of that um she is i guess you would call the the album sort of like indie pop um But she's got a great voice, and just every single one of the songs has been fantastic. Standouts being um, uh, the final song, The End, uh, which is a very cathartic sort of ending to the album. Uh, But Garden Song was the first single, and uh, very, very fantastic. Um, There's lots of other music that I haven't been able to put on my top ten list, but 90% of it has been like, uh, female-led. Uh, Haim didn't make my list, but just barely. Um, and and my number one will uh, be another female musician. Um, so, yeah, uh, Martha. I I know I've talked about Phoebe Bridges before. I'm not sure if you've listened to her or if you got into her at all. I haven't yet. Okay. Sorry. Yeah.
0: I'm. Listeners will know. I'm just not naturally. I don't listen to a lot of music unless somebody like hands it to me and says, listen to this thing. Yeah. <laughs> so
1: I, um, so it's, it's funny. I am the kind of person, and like this is entirely because it's how I grew up. Uh, like I can't just be like sitting on the couch reading or, or doing whatever. Like I have to be sitting on the couch reading with music on. Um, so a lot of my music listening is just sort of background listening as I'm doing anything else. Um,
0: that is also true for me, but I listen to a lot of like movie scores or um instrumental stuff. I can't sure. read I can't read while also
1: like lyrics. Yes. Yeah, yeah, sure. And and I can do both. Like I love listening to a good music score and I also love listening to something with lyrics going on.
0: Yeah, I just abhor a silence.
1: Uh hard same. So. <laughs> yes. It's it's funny like uh, uh Marnovi sitting on the couch sometimes reading and I'm just like what are you doing in here? It's so quiet. It's so quiet. <laughs> like, why isn't there music on?
0: All right. My next one is the finale of The Good Place, yes. which also happened this year.
1: <laughs> this was also on my list, but you got to it first.
0: Um, I thought The Good Place was incredible. Uh, Kristen Bell, Ted Danson, um, Darcy Carden, so many other people. Um, it's cheaty. What? Cheaty. Yes, whose (laughs) actor's name I don't have pulled up in front of me because I'm a failure. Um, But no, I thought that they really I thought the last season William
1: Jackson Harper to give him his due.
0: Yes.
1: Yeah.
0: I thought the last season was inconsistent in a lot of ways. Like there were a lot of concepts that I thought could have used more than one episode. Um, Some of it felt rushed. The pacing was weird, but the, the last episode I thought was perfect. Yeah. It was the right tone across the board. I felt like every character got um, the ending that they had earned. It was just incredibly satisfying, very emotionally cathartic, uh, and intensely emotional. Um, These were characters that you got to watch literally become better people over the course of the show. And the final episode, I think really treated, um, really gave them all a satisfying ending that felt correct.
1: I, I loved how it was so satisfying that felt correct. And also was like sad, um, because it's, because... it's, it's about how they all, you know, will, will, Will go on, uh, you, you know, like be, beyond, as it were. Um, they 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 all leave each other, and that's right and good, and also just deeply sad.
0: It was sad, but it was also sad in a joyful way. Yes. They get to, yes. they get to pick
1: like how they go,
0: what they're, yeah, like they ultimately get to determine what their destinies are. And the reason that they have the emotional tools to do that is because the journey to get them there has been so well-crafted and Mm -hmm. well-considered. And I just, I really thought it was a testament to how wonderful the characters have been written. It's also such an optimistic and joyful ending. Like again, I don't I don't really know how better to explain it than this was a show about people becoming better people. Yeah. And that was just such a lovely thing to watch, especially this year. Um and know that like these people, for whatever their flaws, got to become the best versions of themselves. Mm-hmm. And largely through like, communal, emotional work. Um.
1: Yeah, it, like, it, everyone became better, but they could not have done it alone, which I think is such an important, like, an important message and and idea to convey. Um, we are such an individualistic culture, and that has so many, it has its benefits, but it has many, many, uh, you know, downsides as well. And so a, a show that, Sort of highlights how important your community is.
0: Well, the whole thesis of the show is we need each other to be better.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and yeah, I just I really thought they stuck the landing. Yeah. On a show that was so high concept and weird, <laughs> like <laughs> there are a lot of reasons that The Good Place should not have made it out of its first season, and I'm so glad that we got to watch complete emotional journeys for all of those
1: characters yeah it is kind of wild to think that the the show in season one was some people in in heaven and then the twist spoiler uh (laughs) at the end of season one is no they're actually in hell (laughs) and then and then you go from there it's like that's a fascinating you know good job for nbc for for giving michael sure the you know the reins to do this yes all right. Uh, well, my number two is uh, the video game that finally knocked Animal Crossing off of my Switch. Uh, it's Hades, a roguelike game where you play as Zagreus, the son of uh, Hades, Greek god of the underworld, as he tries to escape from Hades, the location of the Greek god uh, or, or the Greek underworld. Um, he is trying to make his way to the surface to find his mother, uh, who, spoiler alert, is Persephone. Um and Is that really a spoiler though? That that's I that's why I felt okay saying spoiler alert, like that's that's just some classic Greek myths right there. Um You die a lot in it, but that makes sense because you're an immortal god, so when you die you just get dragged back to your father's halls and people make fun of you. Um you make friends along the way, Achilles is there, Orpheus is there, and listeners of this podcast know I'm a sucker for an Orpheus Eurydice. Uh, reference anywhere. Um, you get help from all the from most of the Olympian gods um, a- along your way, a- and you kind of just keep going through, trying to get out of hell. Um, and the most exciting thing, Martha, I know you're not here yet, uh, but the very nature of the game means that even as you die, like each time you die, the story still progresses. Each time you talk to these people. Uh, you learn more about them and the story progresses. Well, that is going to continue even when you finally make your way out of hell. Uh, the story will continue to progress. It will just change and become something different. Um, incredibly well-made game. Very addictive, very fun to play, and perfect for me to be playing it while uh, Marin is watching something on the TV and I can be paying half attention.
0: Yeah, I yelled a lot about how I was sure I wasn't going to like this game. Um And then I bought it in a fit of (laughs) depression. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, it's great. It's super fun. Um, I did finally turn on God mode Mm. where every time you die, your damage resistance goes up by 2% uh, (laughs) because I got very tired of fighting Meg the Fury over and over and over again. Um, uh, Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun.
1: How Uh, how, how far along are you?
0: Um, I have reached the Bone Hydra in Asphodel once, okay, and I have not defeated him yet. So gotcha. I'm still, I'm not far. Um,
1: I I will say it took me forever to beat the um, the the boss at the end of the uh, Elysian Fields.
0: Yeah, I. This is why I turned on God mode because I was like. <laughs> I don't like being bad at stuff. Yeah,
1: yeah. (laughs) I I think it took me 50 escape attempts to finally get to the surface.
0: Oh, I'm on like 50 escape attempts. Okay. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh, I'm
0: very bad at games. And
1: and then, like, I I read some review where it's like, yeah, I think I beat it in like 30 escape attempts. And I was like, oh Oh my God. um, (laughs) Right.
0: Uh, So, yes, as Pete alluded to, uh, my number two is a book that we both read this year and quite enjoyed. It is The City We Became by N.K. Jemisin. Um, Jemisin gets better every book she writes. Yeah. And her baseline was already very high. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I thought The City We Became was an incredible portrait of New York, Portrait of the human condition, um, wildly high concept but easy to understand. Um, I can't wait for the next one. I'm, oh. I'm also extremely into the idea of like personifications of places. Like the nature of locations is something that I enjoy in like many many different contexts. Mm-hmm. And her like very little anthropomorphizing of the boroughs of new york was just like yes this is what i'm here for this is incredible
1: it gave me mild uh china Mieville vibes which is always a good thing i think he does such a, a great job with as you say sort of like personifying and, and giving heart and, and root to locations um mm-hmm. and then she took that and ran with it even further uh it gave me a much better sense of what the of both the geographic knowledge of new york is like i knew the names of at least four of the boroughs sorry staten island but not sorry um
0: everyone forgets staten island
1: yep uh but i had no idea where they were like really in context or relation to each other uh this book helped me do that and also helped me get like get a quick uh you know stereotypical view of what each borough is about and represents and everything uh in a way i didn't have before um -hmm. also it was wild to uh, not actually wild but you know i read this book when i came out in like march or april uh and for obvious reasons the nypd is not presented in let's say the best of light in this book uh or you know all the white folks in staten island same situation um and then of course we had this summer and uh all the george floyd protests and the nypd uh coming out in force uh And, you know, like Staten Island voting very, very red, and it all just resonated that much stronger um, after having read this book. Um, It it felt uh, very—obviously, she wrote it that way because that's how it has been. Um, So it's not like she was predicting anything, but it's more just uh, the light was, was once more shined on sort of that side of New York.
0: Thank you for articulating what I loved about my number two pick. <laughs> no, I mean, it's a great book.
1: It um, would have been my number two pick if you hadn't stolen it already. <laughs>
0: <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Yeah, right. <laughs> what is your... Uh... Oh, we're into our number ones. We're into our number What's ones. What's
1: your number one pick? Yeah. Uh, My number one pick, I got to cheat a little bit because uh, Taylor Swift, surprise released not one, but two pandemic albums. Um, Both of them, Folklore and Evermore, we have talked about on this show. I think Evermore was my stuck in my head last week. Um, They are both produced with Aaron Desner and Jack Antonoff, uh, Aaron Desner from The National. um, And... uh, they're both incredible. They're very much companion albums, which is why I lumped them together. Um, read a review somewhere that said folklore feels autumnal and evermore feels more wintry. Uh, I think that's a really good take on it, so I'm going to steal that. I apologize for not remembering where I saw that review. Um, uh, just very different sounds for for Taylor Swift, less of the um, pop and more of sort of a harder indie acoustic sound. Uh, and I think she, her voice sounds incredible. Um, at various points, you have Justin Vernon and Bon Iver, uh, popping up. Uh, Exile is a fantastic duet off folklore. Uh, Matt Berninger from the National shows up on Evermore. Um, and some real standout songs. Uh, Tis the Damn Season has been getting a lot of replay. Uh, here it's a good, you know, holiday song. Um, yeah, uh. So thank you, Taylor Swift, for not one, but two uh, impeccable quarantine albums.
0: Uh, so I've only listened through Evermore once. Um, I so far am connecting with folklore more,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I think. Um, but I also think that I just need to give Evermore. Evermore is not so straightforward, I think.
1: Yes, It with with folklore the first time i listened through it there were a couple songs that clicked with me right away uh with evermore only marjorie like i i remember the first time listening to the to marjorie i was like that is a great song that is a killer hook um but the rest of the album it took a couple listens to sort of like really seep in
0: yeah i think folklore is great Mm -hmm. um like unqualified
1: yeah yeah Uh, what is your number one spoiler might also have been my number one
0: (laughs) listen my number one is animal crossing animal crossing saved us all yes it did
1: i i think animal crossing is the in 50 years animal crossing will be the piece of media for 2020
0: like Animal Crossing was always going to be successful because it has a huge like it's a long running successful franchise for Nintendo. Um, But it came out at exactly the correct time for so many of us. Like yeah. it provided a way imperfectly because for some reason Nintendo cannot get their act together about providing like a cohesive online playing experience but for many of us, it provided an, a way for us to still interact with people that we couldn't see in person. Um, it gave you something to do every day, like even if it was just checking in to see what your Able store has on the racks. <laughs> um, I think that their seasonal event releases have been perfectly timed. Like every time I kind of feel like oh, I might be done with this for a while. They have another event where it's like, oh, shoot, <laughs> I I want to do this thing. <laughs> um,
1: uh, I, I haven't played in a while because of Hades just taking over my life. Um, So when I logged in last, snow was on the ground, but all my Halloween decor was still up. So I'm like, oh, it's my nightmare before Christmas Island. Oh,
0: yeah. I left up a lot of my Halloween decor because the, the Christmas recipes have been very hard to come by. Like i I think that Nintendo could up the spawn rate of the seasonal mm-hmm. recipes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's happy. It is soothing. It's just it's a nice experience. And it is it can be whatever you want it to be. Like I've seen some incredibly impressive um, island decoration schemes that is just not something that I will ever um accomplished because that's not the way the br- my brain works yeah but the little stuff that i can do is so aesthetically pleasing and rewarding that like that's okay it is it is something where you can put exactly as much time into it as you want to and it will still be like a satisfying play experience
1: yeah um, um have you seen the sylvan esso uh, music video shot in animal crossing no,
0: but um who was doing the talk show? Somebody was doing an Animal Crossing talk show. Oh, really? <laughs> um that was like happening within Gary Witta was hosting a an Animal Crossing talk show within Animal Crossing. His first episode is Danny Trejo. Oh,
1: oh, I've I've heard of the Danny Trejo one. Yes.
0: Yes. So, and that's the other thing. Like literally Everyone is playing Animal Crossing. Like <laughs> Brie Larson streamed the, like her starting up her island. Um, <laughs> it is such a it has been such a universal gaming experience. Yeah, that has just been kind of joyful to like share ideas and like talk to people about their villagers and share. Crafting because like if I don't have a recipe but one of my friends does they can make me a Christmas tree like it's it has just been delightful I got my um, newsletter from Nintendo that was like here are your gaming stats for oh, this okay. year I
1: don't want to look at that <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, but it shows you your top three games played and for me it was like my number one was Animal Crossing with a bullet like it wasn't even close yeah um. It was also very interesting. They do some comparisons between 2009 and 2020, and I bought my Switch in September of 2019. So, like, my most played month in 2019 was September, and my most played month in 2020 was April.
1: Yep, that, that sounds right.
0: When we were all um, at home for the first time and, like, couldn't focus on work, so I'd play Animal Crossing for, like, eight hours a day. Um <laughs> But yeah, I think think Animal Crossing both got very lucky in terms of timing for its release, and we all got lucky that it came out this year.
1: Yes, I I think that is a good, very good assessment on both ends.
0: Uh, So those are our top tens for the year. Uh, we are, we both have a little, a quick lightning bonus round, which we're running long already, I think. So we're not going to spend too much time talking about this. Um, but we both did sort of a, um, a bonus round of five things. For me, it was five things I love this year that did not come out this year. Uh, and just, uh, bottom down, um, Fire Emblem Three Houses, which was my number two most played game. I was wondering if that
1: was going to be your number two.
0: (laughs) Uh, The Kitchen, another Elizabeth Moss movie about three Boston mob wives who take over um, when their husbands go to jail and find out that they're actually really good at being mob bosses instead of just mob
1: wives. Oh, fun.
0: Yeah. Trick Mirror, a collection of essays by Gia Tolentino. This is a book that I think should be required reading for boomers to help understand millennials and also for millennials to help understand ourselves. Hmm. Um, it is reflections on like the internet and media and how those the those things have shaped. Um, The formation of our attitudes as millennials. Um, But it's also about a lot of other things. It's part memoir, part contemplative essay. Uh, I listened to it on audio, which was a really enjoyable experience. Midsummer, obviously. Yep. And then the best book I read this year came out last year, uh, which is Middle Game by Shannon Maguire. This book is incredible. It's fantasy. It's about alchemy it's about family relationships it's about so many things Hmm. um and like the city we became is a very complex and rewarding
1: reading experience nice yeah Uh, my bonus list is five things that came out in 2020 that i couldn't get to uh these are things that for whatever reason i have not read or watched or what have you um partly because one of them came out yesterday so, uh, I'm giving myself a pass on that one and that one only, <laughs> um, and I think I'm going to be, end up watching it tonight anyway. But, um, so, um, so my number five is one that you, Martha, have recommended to me and I just haven't gotten to it, and it's Die, a, uh, graphic novel by Kieran Gillen and illustrated by Stephanie Hans, um, about role-playing games. Uh, after Wick, uh, The Wicked and the Divine, I'm all in on whatever Kieran Gillen is doing. Um... And following him on Twitter, I see enough of this, you know, mentioned that it's, uh, it's perpetually on my watch, like, read list, but I haven't gotten to it yet. Um, number four is The Expanse Season season 5. Uh, that just dropped, or started dropping a couple weeks ago, um, on Amazon Prime. The Expanse is, uh, a big old sci-fi show. You've, if you like Battlestar Galactica, you'll like The Expanse. Go watch it. Um. Number three is A Memory Called Empire, a uh, sci-fi novel by Arcady Martine, her first book. Uh, it won the Hugo this year for best novel. Um, seems really interesting. Like I said, I only read a single book that came out in the year 2020, and it was The City We Became. Um, like many people, my reading list, uh, the books I've read, was a shorter list this year than in previous years because, you know, pandemic. Um, And also, I was just reading some longer, chunkier books, so never got to a memory called Empire. Number two is Soul, the new Pixar movie that came out on Christmas Day, and which I am planning to watch tonight. Uh, Getting real good buzz, but, you know, obviously I didn't watch it yesterday, so (laughs) uh, here we are. Uh, Number one is another movie called First Cow by Kelly Reichart. It's about a couple settlers in uh, the... I think, what, like, Washington or Oregon, the Pacific Northwest, uh, back in the 1820s, um, who are... who dream of striking it rich, but uh, they to do so, they are secretly milking the first cow that comes to the territory to make some oily cakes. Um, film critics were raving about this movie. It seems very soft and gentle and kind and nice and kind of exactly the movie I want to be watching now in 2020. Um... Downside of that is it also could be a little bit slow, and, like, the kind of movie that would be perfect to watch in a theater, because I have to pay attention and focus and can't be on my phone, um, which would make it more challenging to watch at home, uh, because it's like, I really want to watch this movie, but also, every 15 minutes, I guess I'll scroll through Twitter, uh...
0: Put your phone away.
1: Right, exactly. There's an
0: easy solution to this. <laughs> there Peter. is an
1: easy solution, but like being in the movie theater with the lights off and and the enforcement of the no phone, I think is just so so helpful for me for movies like this. Um, but eventually, I'll get around to watching this and probably enjoying it.
0: Um, I've already decided that I'm going to watch it on New Year's Eve.
1: Oh, nice. in the
0: theory that I want it to portend that. F- feeling that soft feeling. Mm. I would like I would like that to be the mood that I carry with me into 2021.
1: Good, good 2021 vibes? Yeah. Yes. I like that. That's a that's a nice idea.
0: Uh we are going to leave you all with something that we are looking forward to in 2021. Um the hard mode that I pitched to Pete was that neither of us can mention dune, which <laughs> we both know that we're looking forward to in 2021. Um, Mine is a book that was slated for release this fall and got delayed due to COVID shipping errors. Um, It is a biography called The Rise and Fall of Stan Lee by Abraham Reisman, who I went to high school with. And he has been doing some incredible uh, comics, pop culture, and entertainment journalism for various outlets. Um, And this is his definitive uh, uh, biography. He got some pretty unprecedented access to some archival materials um, from Stanley. A lot of primary documents, correspondence, photographs. Um, I think it's going to be a really stellar piece of reporting. So yeah, looking forward to The Rise and Fall of Stanley by Abraham Reisman.
1: Yeah, I am also definitely looking forward to this one as well. Um, honestly, the number one thing I'm looking forward to in 2021 is going to events, uh, <laughs> going to movies, and going to live shows. Uh, but since we're not like that, doesn't really count. Uh, and since Dune was off the table, uh, I went. To, I went with uh, with Patterson Batman, Paterman, Um, the new Batman movie that they are. I think still filming, and I think it's still scheduled to come out in 2021. Um, I guess we'll see what with COVID and everything. But looks really good. I'm, uh, you know, excited to see this new move on Batman, and I'm I'm mostly excited to see someone other than, um, like I love the Nolan Batmans, but we've seen those, and I am excited to see someone other than uh, Zack Snyder uh, playing with Batman. Um, Yeah, no kidding. Because the last couple outings have been uh, unfun slogs. So, yeah, I'm excited to see what what weird energy uh, Patterson is bringing to the role.
0: Pattinson.
1: Yeah, Pattinson, yeah.
0: Um, Yeah, I think he's going to be great. I know that a lot of people were concerned about him, but I think a lot of people are still remembering him from twilight and i think both he and kristen stewart have been doing a lot of great work outside of twilight yeah so
1: i mean like i saw the lighthouse last year and that was he was incredible in that well um, and he just
0: picks really interesting projects like he made um a movie called high life last year yes this year last year uh
1: it came out last year last or, year yeah
0: um, yeah. Which is just a utterly bizarre sci-fi. Is that
1: good? Movie. It, that that's been on my it is. list to watch. Okay.
0: It's well,
1: I don't. You you and you appreciated that you've seen it.
0: Yeah, I don't know if it's good or not. It is interesting, and I think that you will like it. Yeah. Um, I'm glad that I watched it, and cool. again, I just appreciate that it's a movie he chose to make.
1: Right. Well, and that's um that director is a uh claire denis um who does wild stuff yeah uh but yeah it's you're right it's like he he picked the lighthouse and he picked high life and then he picked batman and it's like oh interesting
0: yeah it makes you wonder like what is it in this batman story that attracted him to the role and i mean honestly it could also just be that when somebody offers you batman you don't say no to batman right um, but I'm hoping that it's because something in this movie is weird. Yeah, yeah. Let Batman be weird. His yep. stuff is his stuff is wild. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening to us. Thank you for sticking with us for another year. Um, it has been a rough year. I know that we. Um, had to hiatus for a few weeks uh to any of you guys who have continued listening to us uh we appreciate it um and hopefully next year will be better
1: i i don't want to say that it can only be better because that will jinx things but you know the the bar is low let's clear it next year
0: yeah you can follow me on social media everywhere at magical Martha, uh, including reading my newsletter, which I publish at tiny com backslash magical Martha. I'm working on some, uh, rather than top tens list, some perfect tens of 2020. I don't always have 10 things to fill out a top 10 list. So I'm just sharing with you guys some of the things that I experienced or consumed this year that I would call a perfect 10. Mm. Um, You can follow the show everywhere at D-Y-D-Y-H podcast. Um, Pete, where can people find you?
1: Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Pico3000, P-I-K-O 3000, where I'm talking, you know, politics, pop culture, adorable penguins from the Field Museum. um,
0: Wellington. Et cetera.
1: Uh, Watched Batman Returns last night, and there are some adorable penguins in that. They have rockets on their backs.
0: (laughs) (laughs) To say they also have bombs.
1: Yes. (laughs) And some of them are obviously people in penguin suits, and they look ridiculous.
0: Uh, You can listen to the other show that we produce that comes out on this same feed and is hosted by myself and Pete's wife, Maren, called Love Ya, where we talk about rom-coms and teen cinema. Uh, Our last episode was on the holiday miniseries Dash and Lily, and our next episode will be on the Holidate Mm. uh, before we finally are ready to leave holiday-themed media uh, behind.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, our next episode is going to be about political cynicism and idealism. For the cynicism side of things, we're going to be looking at 1997's Wag the Dog And for the optimism side of things, we have three West Wing episodes for you. First, we have the Season 2, Episode 3 episode, uh, The Midterms. Then we have the Season 4, Episode 6 episode called Game On. And finally, we have the Season 3, Episode number 17, and that's entitled Election Day Part 2. It's part of the two-part Election Day episodes in Season 7. So that's going to be our homework and our topics for our next episode.
0: Uh, And until then, uh, class dismissed.